I'm Dr. Jeffrey Bland, and today we're going to be mapping autophagy. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'm thrilled to be speaking with Dr. Jeffrey Bland. Jeffrey Bland is a name you likely know well. He's been an internationally recognized leader in the nutritional medicine field for over 35 years and is known as the father of functional medicine for his ability to synthesize complex scientific concepts in a manner that is both personable and accessible. A biochemist by training, Dr. Bland earned dual degrees in biology and chemistry from the University of California, Irvine, and completed his PhD in organic chemistry at the University of Oregon. He is a fellow of both the American College of Nutrition, where he is a certified nutrition specialist, and the Association for Clinical Biochemistry. Dr. Bland founded the Institute for Functional Medicine in 1991, and in 2012, Dr. Bland founded the Personalized Lifestyle Medicine Institute. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix, Dr. Bland. What an honor to have this opportunity to speak with you today. Well, I can't tell you how privileged I am to be with you today, so let's see what we can do together. Let's do it. So we're talking about autophagy, and I'm wondering if you'd be willing to take us into some of the biochemistry involved in this process and what it means for us as healthcare practitioners aiming to support positive outcomes in our patients and clients. The term autophagy is kind of a new term to a lot of people because it laid kind of in the weeds of cellular biologists and in the domain of kind of scientists that were really probing the inner workings of how cells do their work. It's been around as a term for well, many decades. The terms are really derived from the concept of phage, phagey, mm, which is right. uh, really talking about how debris is eaten up and consumed and reabsorbed. This is a process that cells have been found to have that allow themselves to rid um, uh, kind of damaged uh, materials that may be clogging the cell and remaining uh, as a functional cell that's not congested with uh, cellular debris from proteins and nucleic acids or whatever. And uh, the process was found to be residing within an organelle of the cell, knowing that cells have all these different little mini organs, and this organelle is called the lysosome. And the lysosome has specific types of functions that are related to enzymes that uh, are expressed within the, in that organelle that are auto-digesting enzymes that basically cut up the debris from damaged uh, cellular materials and make it able to be resorbed and allow the cell to um, kind of regenerate itself. So autophagy is a process of cellular renewal. Right. It's different than that of, say, cell death, which could occur by other processes that actually lead the cell to extinguish its function. In this case, it's really kind of regenerating healthy function. The process of autophagy is critically important in virtually every cell to maintain its cellular function over time, knowing that not every material in a cell maintains its integrity without some help along the way because of natural processes. It could be free radical oxidation. It could be uh, 
glycation or uh, different uh, things that modify proteins over time that need to be recycled, so to speak. So autophagy is a natural process that relates to health and vitality. In an extreme, however, like uh, is the case with any young process in our bodies, uh, there's always an upside, but there can be a downside. So autophagy, if it's overly activated, it can actually start uh, having collateral damage and actually injuring host tissues that are healthy. So Again, it's everything in balance at the right time, at the right place, with the right amount. So the regulation of autophagy and its control is uh, centrally important for maintaining the function of virtually every cell. It's kind of fascinating because you're talking about a cell's function and you're talking about regulation. And you also recently had a post that I loved that talked about prevention. Prevention is a hard thing to quantify. How do you know you prevented disease you never got? Are we talking at that level when we think about how we as clinicians think about autophagy? Yes, I think that's a really good point. The reason that I believe that uh, the emergence of extended biomarkers has become so helpful in our field is that it gives us a window into kind of understanding what's going on at the cellular or the tissue level at levels that we may not be seeing yet at the clinical level where a person is experiencing certain kinds of adverse symptoms that might be associated with a disease process. So by looking at certain biomarkers, it kind of gives us a glimpse inside cells as to what is really going on well before we might get to terminal pathology leading to apoptosis or cellular death. And the biomarkers that are associated with lysosome activity and autophagy are ones that relate to things like inflammatory markers and relate to cell myogenic markers and and to uh, cell signaling markers in terms of things like insulin signaling. All of these interrelate uh, with the autophagy process. And we now know that uh, diet and specific nutrients within our diet, particularly phytochemicals, can play an important role in modulating this autophagy process and that they can then modulate these biomarkers that are kind of reflective of what's going on that give us a little bit of an insight into whether the process is well-balanced and and leading to cellular renewal. We're looking at those phytochemicals and nutrition as mediators. Anything else, if we look at the right side of the functional nutrition matrix that's supporting this cellular renewal? Once again, I think that, as they say, all roads lead to Rome. So (laughs) uh, as we start to look at the kind of information that leads to the triggering of autophagy in cells, its signals come from so many of the processes that are fundamental to the functional medicine matrix. For instance, gastrointestinal function as it relates to the activation of our immune system in the GALT and the expression of various mediators that come as endotoxic substances from microbial breakdown of gut contents. We also have agents that can be considered indoor exotoxins that come from xenobiotics, things that we uh, are exposed to that also trigger at the hepatic level or other cellular levels the detoxification enzymes, which also play roles in producing secondary metabolites and influence secondarily the uh, process of autophagy. We know that uh, various macromolecules that are associated with the cell signaling and transport, like the lipoproteins, and how they are become oxidized and ultimately can influence then cellular function relate to autophagy as well. So 
autophagy is really kind of a downstream process that reflects the upstream activation of these basic physiological processes that we describe in the matrix. And like you said, all roads lead to Rome. So if we're looking at what I call the skills portion of the matrix on the right-hand side, I'm assuming that imbalances or disruptions in our sleep, in our movement, of course, even in our nutrition, as you said, but also in our hydration, excess stress, whether it's internal or external, I'm assuming this all impacts the health of the cells and their ability to do what they need to do. Absolutely. If we look at the cell lines in the body that are most responsive or sensitive to these things you've just mentioned, the daily processes of living, that give us kind of a short-term response or a quick response, it's those cells that are most rapidly turning over and Mm. being replaced. So you ask, oh, where do they reside? Well, they obviously reside in the mucosal membranes of our body and our skin. We know that we're sloughing off skin cells every day and we're regenerating our mucosal integrity up through almost daily replication of our gut mucosal cells. But another place that uh, is not so often thought about but is equally important, and maybe in some cases even more important, is our bone marrow cells, our Mm -hmm. hematopoietic system, which are responding to our environment in very real ways. And as you know, all the subpopulations of our immune cells as well as our red blood cells come out of our bone marrow. And our bone marrow is actively in communication with how we look at and feel and how we live our lives and all the things that you just mentioned that, that modulate then bone marrow cell function differentiation into these subpopulations and the, the uh, rather control of the uh, integrity of the uh, cells that are derived out of the bone marrow, uh, how many of them are uh, proteins are mutated or injured by oxidative injury, and how does that collect uh, personality in our immune cells that can lead to inflammation? All of these are things that we're now starting to recognize are critically important in maintaining our function as we grow older so we don't collect a lot of this debris that then signals uh, through inflammatory processes uh, disturbance. It's so fascinating to think about this hand-holding or handshake between this deep level of function and the things we do every single day, those epigenetic factors. When we think about the epigenetics and we go to the genes or those antecedents, are there things that might have primed somebody or specific SNPs to have more of a problem in this area? Oh, that's a really excellent question. As you probably have seen recently, there has been more and more deep diving into where are the most common mutations within those regulators of epigenetic function that regulate how our genes are expressed. And there's a couple of things that are emerging. I think this is probably early stage understanding, but I think it's important. The gene called uh, TET2, which is the... um, 1011 translocase gene is a very important gene that is involved with epigenetic signaling and regulation of the structure of our chromosomes, our genome that allows for proper genetic uh, expression. And that is a very common mutated gene. It's one that has a very important function in regulating epigenetics. Another is uh, DMT, which is another methylating demethylase uh, gene that's very, very actually engaged in regulation of epigenetics. Its mutation or or its uh, alteration in structure can play a, a big, important role in how our epigenome is regulated. So I think that there are certain members of this family that are now being signaled as SNPs or genetic mutant uh, configurations of our genome that have higher 
relative risk associated with them, associated with epigenetic uh, signaling. I love how you explained that, and I think you do such a brilliant job of helping us as clinicians to understand the biochemistry and the nutrition, and again, where they kind of shake hands. If we're thinking clinically through the lens of autophagy and how we can be addressing that upstream factor, where would you direct us as clinicians? Is it to look at the extended biomarkers? Is it to be embracing these everyday epigenetic factors first and foremost? What can we do to help clinicians to really come into our powers of making change? I think the biomarkers are a little bit like the smoke that, uh, leads us to think that there's a fire somewhere. Mm -hmm. We're not sure exactly where the fire is, but we know the smoke indicates there's a fire. And so then it kind of leads us into asking, well, where might be the source of the fire and what part of the body and what's creating this combustion process? The genome and the epigenome, what we're doing now to study genetic diversity at the SNP level helps us to interrogate where the origin of the fire might be based on that person's unique genetic personality. Also, this new work that's ongoing to look at methylation patterns of the genome, which now there are laboratories that are actually starting to look at global methylation of the genome of white cells. And the reason that white cells are very useful is that, as I mentioned, they're part of the system of cells that are rapidly turning over, so they're more reflective of things that are going on in the real time that can influence our function. So I think the combination of the biomarkers as kind of the smoke with looking then to where the fire might reside based on our genetic uniqueness gives rise to a much more quantitative approach towards the functional medicine model. So we can start personalizing, knowing that um, no one therapy is best for everybody, that we need to understand individual susceptibilities and uh, uniquenesses. So when we start then asking what kind of things influence this, we find that there are emerging certain families of phytochemicals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Berberin has been found recently to have a really interesting effect on the uh, these genes that I I mentioned that can become mutated that uh, control epigenetic signaling. We know resveratrol through not only mTOR, but the uh, AMP kinase pathways. We know that epigallocatechin gallate uh, from green tea. So we're starting to recognize how specific phytochemicals actually modulate some of their role through signaling through these various pathways that uh, are associated with the fire that uh, leads to the smoke that we call cellular injury. Beautiful. Is there anything else you would want listeners to know when thinking about autophagy? Yes, I think the other thing that we've started to see, which is pretty exciting, is this development of the fasting mimicking diet or the ketogenic diet or time-restricted feeding and the relationship it has to this process. And I think this is one of the major fundamental breakthroughs that's happening from a nutritional perspective is regulation of cellular function at this uh, fundamental level of autophagy. Walter Longo's work on the fasting mimicking diet, Sachananda Panda's work on time-restricted feeding and the circadian cycles and temporal eating, these are really kind of very powerful new discoveries as to how diet and periodicity of eating plays a role in modulating these fundamental processes. I think the other person is Steve Horvath, who's uh, at UCLA and has uh, developed this Horvath clock, which is to look at the methylome and its relationship to regulation of epigenetic signaling and how it relates to lifestyle habits and uh, modulation of that clock and biological aging. So all of these things are on the frontier, I think, of where the new science is taking us and how 
important nutrition is in modulating these functions at levels far greater than we would have even known five years ago. Fantastic. We will link to all of those brilliant people in the show notes. And speaking of brilliant people, I'm so grateful for all the work you do for all of us, Dr. Bland, making these connections and these associations and leading the way for a new kind of healthcare. Well, the same goes right back to you and all that you're doing. This is a part of spreading the news and getting people to recognize that we have a lot more control of our health than we previously understood and that eating is more than just a prevention of deficiencies. It's actually the activation of friendly genes to do the work for us for uh, 100 years of good living. Thank you, Dr. Bland. Thank you so much. Really a pleasure. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix team includes music by my son, Gilbert Nakayama, and Carla Schaefer on sound production, as well as Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook. You can visit us and hear more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode ready and waiting for you, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Then we can drop into your inbox with a short reminder that a new episode is ready for you. You also have an open invitation to email us. As you likely know by now, I would love to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15-Minute Matrix. You can always email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 